You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Kulin Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. Today we're looking at a community campaign to clean up a toxic waste dump. The Chum Toxic Waste Dump in Ipswich, Queensland is built on geologically unsuitable land, so it has had numerous environmental breaches, including regular fires, in the less than 20 years that it has been running. In July, Kevin Healy and I spoke with Jim Dodrell from Irate, Ipswich Residents Against Toxic Environments, who have had some success in holding the company and the government to account. Since July, Trans-Pacific has announced plans to expand the site to almost double the size. The Ipswich City Council says it will consider the application on its merits and hope to have the process finalised before Christmas. The rest of the problems discussed are still ongoing and the community still continues to resist. So um, we have here on the line uh, Jim Dodrell from IRAE, which is Ipswich Residents Against Toxic Environments. Welcome. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Is it really called Chum? Yes. Like friendly? Uh, the <laughs> suburb is actually New Chum. Um, it was renamed um, back in the late 1800s because it was a coal mining area which um, saw a, new, a number of um, disasters where miners were killed. Oh. Uh, it was called Dangerous Hill at the time. And uh, so they decided to change the name to New Chum for some reason. So can we start by talking about the uh, geography of Ipswich? You mentioned uh, coal mining. There's actually uh, yes. underground coal mines all through Ipswich, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Um, there are several uh, coal seams that run under Ipswich. It's all uh, Jurassic uh, coal. And um, that uh, those coal seams have been heavily mined, uh, as I said, since the 1800s. And um, it's created a, a network of... Um, old underground mine shafts, uh, some of which have been prone to collapse, and um, that's created problems for people in some of the suburbs that have been built over those old mine shafts. And, and another um, geographical feature of Ipswich is that it's quite low-lying, like in the um, 2011 Brisbane floods, apparently a third of Ipswich went under, is that right? Uh, I'm not sure of the actual um, figure, but um, quite a bit of Ipswich uh, was flooded and that's because we're on a, a floodplain from the Great Dividing, the Great Dividing Range from, er, around the Toowoomba area. Uh, the water runs down from there through the Lockyer Valley and across Ipswich on its way uh, towards Moreton Bay. So uh, in the case of a toxic waste dump, can you tell me that they found a site that uh, wasn't on a floodplain and wasn't full of holes? Look, uh, that, that's been a big concern of ours. When we started to do some research on this and we started looking into world's best practice for the siting and the operation of a landfill waste dump, which included regulated waste, so that's the official word for toxic waste, if you like, none of the best practices were followed. Um, for example, it shouldn't be on a floodplain. It shouldn't be built over old mine shafts or, or, or mine workings. It shouldn't have any faults running through it, which this one does. It shouldn't have an aquifer running through the middle of it, which this one does. So none of the guidelines, internationally accepted guidelines, were followed when this dump was 
cited in its current um, place. Jim, was there some big hole there or something? What, what, why did they choose that site? Yeah, look, it was an open-cut mine uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. And um, rather than rehabilitate the site, you know, so they take the uh, what they call the overburden, which is, you know, the, the sort of the soil and rock that's on top. They move it to one side. They take the coal, they extract the coal out, and then they move the overburden back in and rehabilitate the site. In this case, the overburden's still sitting there. It's a big hill right next to the open-cut mine. And when they stopped extracting uh, coal from the site, they just kind of left it as a big hole in the ground. And then they sold it off to a um, the uh, either the state government or the um, Ipswich Council. We're not sure because nobody's admitting to it. Uh, sold it to a company who wanted to start landfilling in there. That company was then bought by Trans-Pacific and they upscaled. They went from a very small little operation in one corner of the site to a you know a, a, a operation which included the entire footprint, and I think that's somewhere in the order of about eighty to ninety hectares uh, of land which is being filled at the moment. To talk a little bit more about the geography, I've got a map yep. here. Can you tell us how close this dump is to where people live and go to school? Yeah, sure. Um, the suburb I live in, uh, Collingwood Park, is less than one kilometre from the site. It varies according to you know which street and house you're, you're talking about. But in some cases, it's just uh, in the order of hundreds of metres. Collingwood Park is on the uh, eastern side of the landfill. So we very often are inundated with dust and smoke and, and all kinds of things coming off that site. There are four schools which are in what I'd call the fallout zone, you know, for dust and smoke uh, from the site. And, um, you know, it's it's been a real uh, headache for the people in Collingwood Park now for several years. Mm. Uh, to to the point that we've formed a group, you know, irate to combat, you know, some of the effects of, of the site. Just on that, just to clarify that background, you said several years. How long has it been going for? The site has been owned by Trans-Pacific since, I think, 2004. Yeah. Uh, it operated prior to that by a smaller-scale company uh, since 1997. The initial approval by Ipswich Council was given in 1997. But it has ramped up massively uh, in recent years. It started off as a small, what they call, single-cell um, operation. It's now expanded to five cells, and when I say a cell, you know, we're talking something which is each cell is several football fields in size, you know, so it's not then a cell, you know, is misleading, makes it sound much smaller mm-hmm. than it is. And not only has the size of the operation ramped up significantly, but also the nature of what they're putting in there. So look, there's a lot of asbestos going in there, for example. Now, you know, like multiple truckloads per day, some of that is um, from old building sites. Some of it comes from, you know, things like, um, you know, factories, um, all sorts of places, you know. So, so there's asbestos. There's also regulated waste. And that regulated waste can be things like um, materials and soils and various things that are contaminated with everything from arsenic to mercury to, you know, all sorts of toxic materials, uh, and we're not really happy about that. You know, um, the company will claim that they engineer the cells that they put this material in so that it doesn't leach out. Well, 
we've seen several fires on the site which we believe have compromised the lining of those cells. Uh, the company hasn't denied that, so they virtually admitted that those cell liners have failed. And so, as a consequence, you know, uh, some of that material could escape into the environment. Um, In, but including you know, the you, you talked yeah. about dust blowing over regularly. Uh, yeah. Could that include asbestos, or are they at least getting rid of that safely? Look, it's supposed to... Um, be um, brought to the site in um, in a regulated fashion. So, in other words, asbestos sheets, for example, are supposed to be double wrapped in plastic and those kind of things. But look, we've um, come into possession of photographs taken on the site, which show asbestos lying around uncovered over a windy weekend. You know, so we have concerns about you know what's claimed to be happening and what may in reality be happening uh, on the site. I have in front of me um, a document. Uh, it's a permit to dump uh, soil contaminated with radionuclides. Can you talk about that? Yeah, look, we've asked questions about that. I mean, first of all, we had to find out what radionuclides means. And apparently that can be any radioactive material. That could be anything from even up to and including uranium and plutonium um, material. So um, we're not saying that we believe that uranium and plutonium is going in there, but what we're saying is we are concerned that any radioactive material could be going in there. Um, the When we inquired with EPA in Queensland, uh, known as DEHP here, we were told that that material was um, something that came from, I think, the shipbuilding industry, whereby they... Um, use some sort of radioactive blasting material on ships and then that's collected up and then brought and um, put into the, the waste landfill there at Newcham. So we're obviously quite concerned about that. Yeah. So I was reading um, an engineering report about Cell 5 and it said that the void is full of water and that they actually just pump that water out into a lake called Quarry Lake, which then connects into Six Mile Creek, which connects into the Bremer River, which connects into the Brisbane River. Uh, it goes Six Mile Creek is direct into the Brisbane River, which oh, then right. flows to Morton Bay. Uh, look, th that is a, a, a real concern. Um, the reason why the site was originally flooded after coal mining ceased was because there's a natural aquifer um, that flows directly into the void, in, into the hole in the ground. And it's not a trickle, it's like a major waterfall. When they cut the, the walls of the open-cut mine, that water from the natural aquifer gushed in and they were, it was a constant uh, pumping, you know, evacuation um, uh, exercise to try to keep it um, usable as, a, as an open-cut mine. When they ceased the mining, then they, uh, the, um, the pumping stopped and the, um, the actual void in the ground started to fill up. And um, so what they've done is they've partly backfilled over the top of that, but it's a loose backfill, so there's still water running underneath. It makes it very unstable then because you imagine trying to build a building, so building a house or a high-rise building or something, on top of wet, loose ground, you know. So that's not really going to be, in the long term, a very stable um, structure. So anything that gets put on top of that then, is prone to movement, it's prone to collapse and subsidence and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm.
But in the geological report, they were also talking about just regularly pumping that water out into this lake as well. Yeah, I, th- I thought yeah, that was quite a concern. Yeah, we've raised that uh, with the company and with the EPA up here. And um, we just don't get any satisfactory answers. Um, we've been told, oh, well, you know, it's allowed under their license, so go away and stop complaining, you know. I was looking at the satellite map and um, Lake Quarry is emerald green. That doesn't seem like a good colour for a lake. Yeah, it is green. Um, and yes, it, we, we have been concerned about that. But um, um, we've asked for water quality testing to be done there. Um, it has been done, um, but um, the state government and the company are less than generous with sharing uh, the results of that testing. But they have reported to us that the um, some of the testing has... Um, shown adverse um, findings sometimes, um, but they they maintain that it uh, could be from another source, you know, that nobody can prove it's from their <laughs> Another source, site. except for this huge yeah. dump next to it. Flowing yeah. from Fiji yeah. or somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back to the water and groundwater, etc. Is this tip uh, sealed properly or is it is there a big possibility of leaching into waterways and aquifers and things? Look, my personal belief is that there is a very strong um, possibility that what's in there could leach into the environment, in other words, into um, Six Mile Creek and the Brisbane River. But I'm not a hydrologist or a geologist or anything like that, so it is just my opinion. But my opinion is based on regular um, observation at the site. The the company, since we've um, formed our group and we have uh, engaged with the company on a regular, sometimes a daily basis in regards to their practices. So we've definitely um, forced the company to change practices on a number of fronts. But the problem is, before we came along, this site was already in operation and some of the practices that went on then weren't obviously um, best practices. So there's still a possibility a very real possibility that down the track in six months, 12 months, maybe a few years' time, that there could be some sort of um, catastrophe, you know, for the local environment. Um, I'm aware of what happened at Tullamarine in Melbourne, and uh, that was fairly catastrophic, uh, what happened there. And I'm just a little bit cautious that something similar could happen here at Newcham. You're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. This is an interview that Kevin Healy and I conducted in July. It's with Jim Dodrell from Ipswich Residents Against Toxic Environments about the Chum Toxic Waste Dump in Queensland. Can we talk also about um, the issue of sovereignty? The Ipswich City Council actually tried to regulate this dump. Um, It tried to regulate how much was going into the dump. And then they were overruled by the by the courts. Government. So who uh, yeah, who, um, who is allowed to regulate this dump? Well, look, it's um, it's both uh, council and state government, and the problem is um, they overlap in some ways. Uh, so, in other words, the council gives uh, the original permit to use the site. You know, it's like you. Um, starting a business or opening a factory or something, you get a permit from the council to start with. But then what actually happens in the site and the type of materials accepted into the site and that kind of thing, 
are actually ruled by state government, in particular DEHP, Department of Environment and Heritage Protection. And um, it's, it can be quite confusing because they can issue concurrent licenses. So, for example, they can issue a license to accept asbestos uh, from building sites, but then they can uh, issue another license to accept asbestos from a different um, background or different circumstances. And those licenses can actually overlap each other. So then when it comes down to looking at the detail of the license, so in other words, should the asbestos be buried every hour of the day or once a day or twice a day or whatever, uh, you can get conflicting rulings depending on which license was issued and what type of materials coming in. And that applies to all, not just asbestos, but all the other materials coming in. It also applies to the leachate, which comes off because obviously with a, a uh, large dump like that, there's leachate constantly flowing out of the bottom of the dump and they have to deal with how to dispose of that leachate somehow. And when you have ov- overlapping licenses, that can be really difficult to try to follow, you know, how it's done and and what rules uh, govern that. I think the ultimate answer to who rules the thing is Trans-Pacific themselves, probably. They just go to government and get what they want. That's certainly been the case here at Tullamarine, where you seem to be having the yeah. same problem with your EPA, where they tend to go along with the company on almost everything. They do, and not only that, but they'll retrospectively uh, accommodate the company too. So uh, our group have found um, Trans-Pacific numerous times in breach of the terms of their licence, and uh, so they've been non-compliant with their licence and with their permit. Some might say breaking the law. And when we've raised that with um, the EPA up here and with council, not only have they changed the... uh, basically move the goalposts in favour of the company, but they've done it retrospectively. So in other words, instead of fining the company for doing something in breach of their licence for the last six months, 12 months, whatever, they move the goalposts, change the rules in favour of the company and do it retrospectively. So the company pays no penalty, basically. And you mentioned also, we've talked about asbestos, radioactive waste, and you said all the other materials. What, what are some of the other materials that are being thrown in there? Yeah, look, um, there are. Um, it's difficult to follow the paper trail sometimes, but we've done our best. We've done um, some um, what's known as RTI um, requests up here in Queensland. Um, you know, so that's your um, request for information. Yeah, from government. Of FOI down here, yeah. Like FOI. And um, we have come up with um, all sorts of materials, um, for example, from... Amberley Air Force Base, there were, that's the, I think, as far as I know, the largest um, military air base in, in Australia. And um, they fly the F-111s from there. And they have a, had a maintenance program there where they were cleaning the tanks of the, um, the, the fighter jets and that kind of thing. And the soil all around the, um, the workshops where they were doing that was contaminated with various, you know, fr- quite toxic materials. And so what they did was they just bulldozed that soil up, you know, the top couple of inches of um, soil, put it on the back of a truck and brought it up to New Chum's Trans-Pacific site and just dumped it all in there, you know. So we have concerns about that, you know. And there doesn't seem to be any good paper trail on any of that. Like when we asked the company about it, they said, oh, we don't have the records to show that. 
uh, we had to actually go through um, the military to find out that that had actually occurred. So the company themselves either aren't very good at keeping records or are deliberately sort of keeping us in the dark in relation to some of those sort of fairly highly toxic uh, materials that have gone into the site. But there's there's permits for heavy metals, PCBs, PAH, dieldrin, acid sulfate, benzene, arsenic. Yeah. yeah, and some of those are in the, you know, tens of tons, hundreds of tons, thousands of tons. And I remember uh, sitting across the table from Trans-Pacific Management and asking them, could they provide us with a list of those materials that you've just uh, named and give us a breakdown of tonnages and that kind of thing uh, that are uh, currently stored on the site, in the ground on the site. And they've just refused. They said their records aren't good enough to be able to provide that information and, and they've mixed it in with other materials, so therefore they don't believe that they should have to account for it. And, you know, they've been a very difficult company to deal with, I have to say, and... Um, as you've just said, we have the records that show those materials going in there, but there's a an environment or a, a atmosphere of denial from the company. They just don't want to discuss it. You know that 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 sort of um, atmosphere of denial permeates right through the EPA up here as well. The EPA seem to, you know, whatever Trans-Pacific say, the EPA seem to repeat the same storyline. You know, it's it's quite frustrating at times. I was going to say, to we simple lay people, one would have thought that keeping records of that sort of material should be a, a basic condition of their licence. Um, but they're not keeping records. It's quite amazing. Well, they probably are, but they're not telling yeah. us. That, that could be the case, yeah. I, I want to talk about the waste coming from New South Wales. So with the um, court... Um, agreement that I previously mentioned is it's actually there's no limits to how much waste can be on this site and because it's cheaper to transport waste from New South Wales to Queensland than pay New South Wales charges people yep. are trucking up waste from New South Wales. First of all it seems to me like that there might be a bit of a danger with transporting waste that far. Definitely uh, yeah. In the case of New South Wales they've brought in proximity law and uh, that just started, I believe, at the beginning of this year. And uh, so what that means now is um, anybody who produces waste, to my understanding of this new law is that they cannot transport that waste more than 200 kilometres from the, the source point. So what that means now is that it has um, reduced the number of trucks coming from New South Wales, driving up to Queensland to dump. But we still do that 200 kilometres still includes the um, north coast of uh, New South Wales. So we are still getting some coming through. But I, we've also raised that with the company, and now they've told us, we haven't seen it in action, but they've told us they're turning around trucks that come from New South Wales more than 200 kilometres from their source point. So how many trucks a day come through? In total, it would be in the hundreds. Um, it obviously varies day by day. You know, but it could be, you know, on average, just I guess maybe two to three hundred very large trucks a day. And how much waste is there estimated to be there already? We're not really sure on that because um, the figures aren't all available. Uh, we've tried to um, ascertain what the current rate of dumping is, and that fluctuates. But it, it's up to about a million tons a year. Um, and it can be, 
I believe can be as low as uh, you know half a million a year, but um, they have had years where it's been up to a million tons a year. So uh, that's probably puts it up there in the category of one of the largest, if not the largest, dump in Australia. Well, new chum sounds like a kids' program in the late, late afternoon. We we are talking about uh, this is at Ipswich. We are talking about uh, toxic waste up there, Trans Pacific, the same company that runs Tullamarine here. And uh, Jim, eventually, it's got to fill up. At that stage, what are they saying is going to happen to it? Okay, so again, because of you know, community action from our group, we've actually caught the company out. They did want to build this dump. 100 metres higher than the um, normal ground level or, or existing uh, ground level. What we've done is we've actually taken them to task about that. We found the relevant permits, the original permits, which said that they had to um, restore the site to the normal topology of the, you know, the surrounding area. And so what we've done is we've basically reduced, forced the company to reduce the lifespan of this site from about, 50 years from now to less than 10 years from now. So, But it's looking that might even be less now because, we're, as I said, we, we do engage with the company. We have forced them to retreat on some of their ambitions so that their lifespan could be down now as low as seven or eight years. One of the things at Telemarine that's been talked about and which the government denies but which the local people say is definite is the the much higher incidence around the place of various diseases including lots of cancers that are you know just simply yeah. higher than higher than you'd expect normally um, yeah. any problems up there about health situations for people at this stage not that I'm aware of we do have people um, complain quite a lot about various uh, respiratory um, problems but it's difficult to link that to the site even though we have engaged with the Department of Health up here, you know, they're funding for long-term and even medium-term research on that kind of thing um, is very limited. So at this stage, I wouldn't say for sure that we have had adverse health health effects, but I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't be surprised if we did show clusters of um, various illnesses Mm. around the site, you know, I've got an open mind on that at this stage. Before they put together the dump, they didn't make any environmental or health-based information, did they? No, I don't think there there is any baseline data as far as I'm aware. Mm, that's very clever of them because you don't, you don't want that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you wouldn't want to live near it, would you, really? I mean, you do, but you wouldn't want to. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, um, we don't give up without a fight. You know, uh, some people have moved out of the area, um, you know, I come from, you know, fighting Irish background. I don't believe in walking away. You know, I'll always fight something. I'll always fight for the, you know, the worker or the or the, the little person kind of thing. And, and that's, you know, why I'm still in there. Well, Ipswich is a great town. I know not a lot of people say that, but <laughs> i got to say. You no, know. no, Ipswich is a great town. Ipswich is a great town with some really great people. And we have some really fantastic community organisations here. And that's what keeps it going. If we were to rely on the, the local politicians around here, um, you know, we'd have all sort of given up a long time ago. It's community. You know, we have some great community around Ipswich and uh, that's what keeps us going. Can you talk about how people can um, get in contact with IRATE and in what ways they yep. could contribute? First point of call would be our website, irate.org.au. 
we have Facebook, Twitter, and all the you know usual uh, social media uh, outlets as well. And uh, they can contact uh, me directly. I'm the president uh, of their group at the moment. I'm president at irate.org.au is my email address. And we're happy to um, discuss anything with anybody. Uh, we've also um, linked up with some of the other local environment groups. And uh, we have a very good relationship. You know, we, um, we all work together to make it such a better place, you know. Um, so, yeah, we welcome anybody uh, along. What sort of actions are you doing that people can get involved in? Uh, we currently have a um, what they call a CRG, Community Reference Group, which is um, a monthly or two-monthly um, meeting where we sit down across the table with um, Trans-Pacific people, City Council people, and also um, EPA people. And um, we discuss uh, the concerns or some of the... Um, applications that Trans-Pacific might have before council or state government and we debate some of those issues and um, we've had quite a lot of success uh, in doing that. That's probably, apart from actual site monitoring, uh, that's probably our main focus at the moment. The site monitoring is where we, I mean we're all people who have jobs and families and that kind of thing but we do our best to go up and keep an eye on what's going in and out of the site Keep an eye on, you know, because there are fires on a regular basis up there. We try to document that and give that information to the relevant authorities. And also we, you know, like everybody else, you know, we enjoy our suburb. We often walk around the area and we'll make observations that may be uh, related to the actual uh, dump site. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so everything from a sort of a high level to direct engagement down to just, you know, sort of observation. Because ultimately the biggest solution to these problems, as we keep saying on this program every time we talk about it, is for those who profit from such things to, to produce less and less of that sort of waste. I mean, um, the ultimate solution is is don't produce the sort of waste we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And the um, uh, Newman state government, um, who um, have since been replaced by a Labor state government here in Queensland, but, but Newman um, abolished the um, waste levy uh, up here in Queensland, which just encouraged companies to dump more and more. We're hoping that the current Labor government uh, under Anastasia Palaszczuk will actually reinstate that waste levy and therefore discourage companies from dumping and find better ways to, to manage waste, you know, uh, so then we don't have to have these super dumps like uh, the one at Newcham. Well, thanks for appearing on the show, and I wish your campaign the best of luck. Thank you very much, and, and, and thanks for having me on. The Palaszczuk government has not yet restored the waste levy. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Corey Green. Today on the show, we heard from Jim Dodrell from Irate, Ipswich Residents Against Toxic Environments, about their campaign to enforce environmental and safety regulations at the Chum Toxic Waste Dump in Ipswich, Queensland. This conversation was recorded in July. Since then, Trans-Pacific, who run the dump, has announced plans to expand the site to almost double the size. The Ipswich City Council says it will consider the application on its merits and hope to have the process finalised before the end of the year. The rest of the problems discussed are still ongoing and the community still continues to resist. You can get in contact with IRATE at www.irate.org.au. If you missed some of today's show, 
Don't forget that our podcast can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the dedicated people at the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria on the Kulin Nation. Our contact phone is 0394198377 and our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for today, but we'll be back again next week. Thanks for downloading the 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.